All right. Hello. Welcome back to Noise Evocation Podcast. I am Ryan here I'm with Jeremy. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Just blowing smoke. Uh, I'm Jeremy. How's everybody out there? Um, so this week we, well, first off, let's, we were just talking about this before, so let's start this off. This will be our last episode that we're going to do this year, just because next week is Christmas on Sunday. Followed um, by New Year's the following. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So with both holidays coming back to back and Sunday's typically the day that we get together and record these. Um, we're just going to make this our last episode for the year because both of us are busy with family shit and I'm about to be moving into a new house and it's just a lot of stuff going on. So, And we have some things that we're working on to bring to you next year also. Yeah, we'll come back banging. So in this episode, we kind of looked at this as if you've never listened to hip-hop before. And these are what we feel are essential hip-hop albums that you could listen to and get a very good feel and a good direction on where to go next For the in genre. the genre, yeah. you know? It's basically... It's like a starter. It's like a starter pack, but we called it an essentials pack. Just, I don't know. I guess technically they're kind of the same thing. Well, yeah. Either way. Because, like, our jazz starter pack was basically jazz essentials. Yeah, that's true. So either way you want to call it. And there will be future hip-hop album lists. There was a few parameters. Um, oh, yeah. So all of the artists that are on this list was pre-2000. We kept it that way just because... Narrowing 20 down from the start of hip-hop to now would have been incredibly hard. And yeah, even this was kind of honestly yeah. a little like, damn, I got to leave that off? Yeah, we originally started off with 15 and then ended up moving it to 20 because there was too many things that we felt left off. And I still kind of feel like there's some things that are left off, but I can't make you a list of 50. I could, but it'd just be us fucking listing the whole episode and... Why yeah, why listen to that when you can just read that? <laughs> you could get through a 1 to 50 list a lot faster than listening to us for an hour listed off. Probably. But uh, like Jeremy said, like this list is basically presented to somebody who has never listened to hip hop or who knows what it is but never really knew where to start or to give, how to get into it, what was good, what was bad because I do hear a lot of people, especially when it comes to hip hop, say they don't like it. And. But it's based on like one song. Yeah. Or one style. Yeah, or one style. And. But there is, a, I mean, it's the biggest genre of music in the world. So obviously the people who do like it outweigh the people that don't. But. To the people that don't like it based on just because they heard this one artist or whatever, I will say that the stuff that is heavily promoted typically in today's world is just glamorized. It's pop it's music. It's pop music yeah. and entertainment stuff. You know, it's not really thought provoking or it doesn't 
bring awareness to anything going on, like in you know particular neighborhoods or whatever. Like, yeah, the, there's no structure to the story, well, there's structure the to the music, lost but there's no there's no storytelling. There's no viable piece of like intellectual information added into it, and that's not to say that some of it's not good to listen to, but it's for an entertainment sense. I think like to me. I like hip hop that makes you think like right. people who are going to do crazy rhyme concepts or um, just write some shit that you never thought like, how the fuck did he think to rhyme this with this? Or, you know, he brought back the beginning of a bar all the way back to the end of it and like tied it all together right. or storytellers that paint a good picture or even some of the concept albums that are in hip hop that paint a picture of like New York per se or you know any urban area that might be like a heavily populated city where there's gangs and shit like that like street yeah, life yeah. and the struggles that go on with that Those major cities yeah so I but, feel that um like when I start listening to hip-hop um I believe you know it's like it used to be an art in, in lyricism, you know what I mean? Like, you had to beat the other guy, use crazier words, crazier flow, and now, like you yeah, said, it was now like it's a, just about... It was a friendly competition in right. a way. Like, like, even if people didn't like each other back then and had beef or whatever, like, they still had the mutual respect of, like, this guy's dope, like, right, his rhyme right. schemes. Are, it's like Jay-Z and Nas. Like, yeah, they hated each other, but I think both of them as the people that they are both being very smart individuals like had enough respect for each other right. about this guy's putting out this level of music he's putting out this level of music you know but they both were given their due credit and that shit got him talked about yeah. you know what i mean and now i don't think that's quite the case like everybody's just kind of on like fuck you like if you don't like me fuck you or I'm not going to give props to this guy. Like, he doesn't fuck with me. Why do I fuck with him? Or, like, shit like that. Like, It's just um, a newer generation and yeah. self, self, I don't know, selfish motherfucking. All musicians respect where their roots came from. Led Zeppelin respects blues musicians. Rolling Stones respect yeah, 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 blues yeah, yeah. musicians. New jazz and hip-hop artists respect jazz musicians funk musicians soul whatever hip-hop like, hip-hop yeah, especially like hip-hop especially well depending on the era yeah. like now like they're like fuck all that old shit mm -hmm. but like back when sampling was the main oh yeah like structure of yeah. hip-hop like they were reaching out to every genre of music yep. or sounds you could think of so i mean they had like a very diverse I don't know, fucking melting pot, I guess, right. of, that, like, different that's another titles thing that draws sounds. you in is the, is they, you can take three or four different songs and chop them, flip them, screw them, and they have a whole other song. Yeah. And it's out of shit that was already there. And like we said with know, artists being, having that friendly rivalry type of thing, like trying to one-up each other with their music... I think producers did the same thing. Like there were oh, producers definitely. that wanted to find that golden sample that was like, "Yo, nobody's used yeah. this yet. I want to. I'm gonna use this, and I'm gonna chop it up to where you don't even know what the fuck it is or how I got it, where I got it. Like they didn't want to give up their sauce. Yep. To this day, there's still um, turntable comp 
you know, scratcher competitions, like, to this and, day. And that shit started in the 70s. Yep. Who I mean, that was, like, yeah, the... Yeah, it's fucking pretty cool, man. That's how hip-hop literally started, was, you know, two turntables and a microphone. Yep. Well, so, you did mention Nas and Jay-Z. Nas yeah, so, is the first one on our list. Illmatic. I, we have mentioned this album on different lists. It's uh, pretty important. What, what, which one? Oh, Hip Hop Debuts is what we... Oh, okay. I was trying to... Because I know we have talked about it. It might have been on most influential albums. And it was too. on there, too, yeah. So, uh, yeah, what more can be said, really? Yeah, to me, this is like... I mean, Nas had the... I said this before already, so I'll kind of speed through it. But, I mean, DJ Premier, Large Professor, um, Pete Rock, and Q-Tip all had production on the album, and they were all highly regarded in music already for their achievements in albums. So, um, I mean, he had, like, the all-star lineup of producers to make like what literally is often known as the perfect hip hop album. Yeah, dude, it's and it like it, front every to back fucking just, song is a banger. I've never been to Queens Bridge projects or anything or even New York, but I you it's kind of like when you watch like The Wire or The Sopranos or any type of crime TV yeah, show yeah. that paints the scenario for yep. you to where you're like, okay, I get a sense of a feel of what it was like yep. in that time or whatever like Nas does that with Illmatic 100%. It's like a cinematic movie playing out to you. Totally agree, just man. with words. It, it's, that's in, that's a, you know, what, what's so enjoyable, like you said, man, it does. It draws you in and paints a picture. There's a couple others on the list that do that as well, and we'll get to them later because one's kind of way down there. The next we have is A Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders. This album actually came out the same day as Wu-Tang Clan's Enter 36 Chambers, which is another that's on the list, so I'm going to lump that into there right now. Midnight Marauders is really cool because the record cover. Uh, Q-Tip sent the demo out to all of these different producers, DJ Premier, um, P. Diddy, who was Puff Daddy at the time, uh, I think, like, the Beastie Boys are on the cover. Yeah, there's a um, lot of people on So there. he sent out the demo to all of these producers, people from De La Soul, et cetera, all the people that he respected in the business or looked up to or whatever, and had them take a picture of them listening to the album in headphones and then used that as the album cover. So if you look at all the faces on it, you can... It's kind of like Where's Waldo yeah, of hip-hop. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking dope. You can find, like, Young Ice-T in there, and, um, I like, Scott LaRock, and I think Pete Rock might be on there, and just all these other, like, faces that you can kind of, you're like, oh, shit. I think Shock G's on there. It's a, it's a really cool concept for an album cover, I think. But Tribe Called Quest, to me, like, they're one of my favorite groups in hip-hop in general altogether. Yeah, um, um that... They have that jazzy sound, and um, cutting up jazz records, and it's conscious. It's fucking smooth sounding. It's chill. Yeah, definitely chill. And like Q-Tip, I mean, made some of just the smoothest beats. Uh-huh. And uh, every single year, like when I get my uh, Apple Music wrapped up thing or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Tribe Called Quest is like every single year in my top ten. Yeah, right on. For the last I don't know how many years. 
and uh, that's just streaming it. I mean, I play it like at home. I play their records, and I'm just, I listen to them constantly, and it never gets old. Which to me, that's what defines classic. Oh, for sure. And that's you know that's another thing. When I we were making this list, I was thinking of things that stood the test of time. Exactly, like for like we said with Nas, it takes you to that place, but it still it feels fresh. Yeah, there's some other hip hop out there that if you, I'm trying to think of a very good example. Like if I hear Nelly's Country Grammar album, that puts me. It's it sounds dated and it puts me into that you know what I mean like that whole for me that era is like it doesn't sound doesn't stand up like Midnight Marauder stands up you know what I'm saying Country Grammar doesn't yeah yeah it is a different sound because it was Country Grammar was what two thousand two thousand two or something right. like that I just and I mean it, it not so even that almost... it could be like a ludicrous album or a yeah. mystical like Ja Rule all that shit from that era to me is like yeah like it's kind of where the rap the lyricism started to fade you know it was the beginning of the shiny suit era right right and I get what you're saying because some of it was I don't know some of it to me like that was when I was growing up right so some of it to me I'm like oh this is dope I love this right. because I heard this when I was a I kid like you. Like, 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die, Try, and I was in, like, 6th or 7th grade when that came out. 6th, yep. I think, actually. That album, to me, like, classic to me. Yeah, uh, but whether when I hear people it, or not say it, that but, still stands up to me. Yeah. And, and so, Ja Rule, though, like, I did listen to Ja Rule when I was younger, but I haven't heard that in years. It doesn't I don't know if it would, yeah. I don't know if it, it would. it has that, like, for instance, he did a bunch of fucking, like, love shit. Mm-hmm. And that kind of cheeses it out, you know, a little bit. Where it's like, they're not, it's just bullshit. Yeah. They're not trying to, like, make you think. They're just trying to make you fucking go out and impregnate bitches. I don't know. It's not thought-provoking. Right, and it's just kind of like, I have this, I have this, I have this. You want these? You want this dick? <laughs> I mean, that's all it is. Yeah. Fuck booty shaking. Which, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. But as far as... I, that shit to me didn't contribute anything to hip hop. You know what I mean? I think sound wise it did, but lyrically, lyrically. I don't think it was anything special. No, it, I'm not but the two thousands in the rough, the two thousands sure, definitely had their own sound. But the, and there was some lyrical shit that came out then too. Right. So <laughs> I'm just saying quite a general. bit actually, but it was mostly in the underground stuff, like to live quality and most deaf and all that type oh, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we threw in Wu-Tang Clan, Enter 36 Chambers in there. So, I mean, that we've talked about before, yeah. too. And I don't really know what to say at this point that hasn't been said about 36 Chambers. It's, yeah, I mean, you could pick almost any Wu-Tang album and be all right with it, really. Uh, and the same goes for most of their solo albums as well. And some of them, like Ghostface, he's got a huge body of work, and some of that stuff is kind of, it's not bad, but it's not like Iron Man, even though you're probably sick of Iron Man. No, I'm good with it, but yeah, (laughs) it's stuck in my fucking CD player in my truck. But yeah, like, you're pretty safe with any early Wu-Tang solo record, Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang Forever. Yeah, I will say... For people who aren't aware of this album or don't know about it, I mean, if you 
like unique sounding because nothing really else sounded like Wu-Tang. Nobody else used Kung Fu samples like that did. Riz's production was pretty distinctive. And so if you like oddities oddities and obscurities and like a mixture of gritty and... I mean, even like I want to say comic book shit too, because all of them referenced comic books quite a bit. Oh, like definitely. Inspector Deck did, Method Man did. But they're and, um, great storytellers, man. And yeah, they great. Paint, I was gonna say pictures, that too. Dude. Great storytellers. And just, I mean, unique sound. Like I said, yep. nobody has ever done what they did or sounded how they sounded. Yeah, if anything comes out sounding like it and it doesn't say Wu Tang. Then it's just somebody biting their shit. Yeah. Um, so number three, we have Run DMC's self-titled album, which was released in 1984. And this record was, I mean, prior to this, like Sugar Hill Gang was influential, and uh, there were a handful of like DJ Cool Herc and like people around that. But it wasn't. Yeah, no, nobody really popped off though. It was no, all still it the wasn't, neighborhoods. Yeah, it was like a local type of thing. Like hip hop still belonged to New York at that point. So when Run DMC came out, and that was sort of the first mainstream success, I would say, of hip hop to where it really started to blow up, right. like in the media, <laughs> or on TV, and just. Even worldwide, it like as their career progressed on a little bit. Yeah, de- and it definitely helped push the Def Jam label. Oh yeah, for sure, it was huge for and Def it- Jam because I mean they were they were and still are honestly like a powerhouse label. They're like oh definitely they're like the metal blade of hip hop. Yeah, that's a good way to put pretty it. Pretty much how I would put Def Jam. Definitely, Russell Simmons is a genius as far as that goes, but. But if you like, I don't know. <laughs> but, but if you like, a sort of a, a this is definitely an '80s sound. It, like, there's a difference in sound once you pass 1990. Yeah, it's just how they how they made beats. How, it's how they made beats, and just how like the equipment at the time right. wasn't the same, and whatever you know. So. If you like sort of a raw sound mixed with sort of hard rock style samples, this album would definitely be for you. Think like Beastie Boys, but earlier, almost. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what it is. Because Beastie Boys had that um, hard, like quite a bit of hard rock samples and that guitar sound to them. And that was used quite often throughout their music. And there's like, there's classics on this album. Like Rockbox, Jam Master J, yeah. Sucker, Sucker MCs, MCs, Holly's Crew, which it's are, like that. Yeah, it's. I mean, really, the whole album is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that long. It's yeah. only thirty-nine minutes, nine songs. But that was. That was number three, and then number four was Wu Tang, which we just talked about. No, we. Did, I had number five as Wu Tang. Oh, did you? Number four, I have NWA Straight Outta Compton. Oh well, we can do that then. All right. You go ahead with that. All right. All right. So NWA Straight Outta Compton came out in 1988, and I would say that was probably the biggest gangster rap album to come out up until that point. Um, yeah. 
at least it made it famous at least worldwide yeah it 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 definitely made gangster rap famous um because before that you really only had like what ice tea schooly d D. there's only like a few ghetto underground yeah ghetto boys but yeah it was it didn't hit as big as nwa straight out of compton did and uh you know it was a very controversial album but damn i mean it started the careers of a lot of people yeah there was a lot that spawned off of that it was like a smaller wu-tang clan almost because they all had almost all had successful careers after that ice cube of course um dr dre now easy e he probably still would have a career if he didn't die of the old fucking AIDS there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he'd still be doing something. Because, like, like, look at what Dr. Dre's done. Like, Dr. Dre exactly. brought on Eminem, and Eminem brought on 50 Cent. Well, Easy had found the had found Bone Thugs, and I would yeah. have done something more with them, I would have imagined, if he didn't die. But though, also there's a movie... Out called NWA straight out of Compton, which I honestly didn't even think of until right now. So uh, yeah. you could go out, <laughs> rent that, and that'll give you the story yeah. of how this group came together. And um, it's pretty cool. It, it, it they came out of some shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Ice Cube's son plays Ice Cube, which I thought was cool because who better to play a young you than a young you? Yep. And he made him audition for that shit too. Yep. Um, but you have classics on this album, Fuck the Police. Um, it's still, to this day, probably one of the best-known, like, chant songs. I don't know. Everybody, I don't know. They can listen to country fucking music, but they know Fuck the Police for some reason. Yeah. You know? But it's been covered a lot, too. Right, right. Um, Express Yourselves on here, which is the complete opposite of Fuck the Police. <laughs> Dope, man. Gangster, gangster. I mean, it's like again, all these albums really are. You just put them on one, let them go to the end, flip it, let it go to the end. But I, I can't say more about all it. of these are pretty much the definition of classics. Because I don't see an album on the list that we have that I'm like, I, I wouldn't. I'd skip this song or right. skip that song or whatever. There might be some that I listen to less often, but and. We're just, you know, you're getting a variety. So, obviously, this and Tribe Called Quest are on opposite sides of, like, the hip-hop spectrum, if you will. You know what I mean? You got Gangster Gangster, and then you have, like... Yeah, because Tribe Called Quest was smooth, but also had, like... Fife Dog definitely had funny rhymes. Right, right. Um, You know, I'm all that, and then some short, dark, and Mm -hmm. handsome. Bust a nut in your eye to show you where I come from. (laughs) And shit like that. So, yeah, where these dudes are like. But I mean, Ice Cube totally did have not. a sense of humor, so did Easy. But they didn't like put it into their music no, quite as but, much at no. the time because it was more gangster rap. Yeah, it was you know? more about like fronting some hard shit. Yeah. So after that, we have Wu Tang Enter Thirty Six Chambers, which we already talked about and said. So I'm gonna move on past that to number six. It is Riot? Uh, sorry, UGK Riding Dirty which came out in 1996. Um, it was a Texas-based hip-hop duo that consisted of Bun B and Pimp C. Pimp C passed away in the mid-2000s. I don't remember exactly when, 06 or something, I want to say. This 
I would say Ghetto Boys really started the Texas movement and sound and everything, but UGK like capitalized on it and built on past that. And Pimp C had that real like laid back, smooth, cool. Yeah, Pimp C's awesome. It was different from the laid back New York sound. Like in hip hop, there was East Coast, West Coast, North. Uh, North was more kind of like Midwest and South. North, I would actually just say New York and then Midwest and separate the two. Because New York was like, they had everything. Like, I mean, that's like the motherland for, it's like UK when it comes to metal. Well, right. It's just a um, melting pot of yeah. fucking everything. But they all had their own distinctive sound is oh, what I'm trying sure. to say. Like, Texas, like Texas had their had own, own sound. sound. Mississippi had their own sound. Yeah, yeah, Memphis definitely. had their own sound. Detroit had its own sound that was very similar to New York's, but almost had like a more horrorcore sounding type yeah, of thing yeah. with Esham and Dayton family. But I picked Riding Dirty. I mean, they this is their fourth album. Um, I just picked this one because that's the one I'm most familiar with. But I think this is where they were at their best together. Like the first few, they were great. Don't get me wrong. They're great albums. But this one, I think they just painted start to finish the perfect album that they could have for the two of them. Right. So that's why I put it on here. Number seven. Is number seven EPMD Strictly Business? <laughs> nah, you're one behind on everything somehow. I'm a, oh, what is it? Uh, Eric B. and Rakim's Painful. Oh, shit. Gave away the number eight. Damn it. Well, that shit came out in 1987, and... For those of you who don't know, Eric B. is considered one of the best lyricists of all time, if not the best. Rock him. Oh, shit. Sorry. Got it backwards. I knew what you meant. <laughs> yeah, but nobody else does. Yeah. Well, I, I know how yeah. it is when you read a name and then say the name that you're reading. Yeah, that's what I did. But, uh, yeah, Eric B. and Rakim, Paid in Full, I Ain't No Joke, is, like, on its classic. I don't know how to... I don't know. It's hard to describe it. Describe everything on here without just saying classic over and over again. But this album, Eric B. and Rakim, I think, believe Melly Mel had a hand in producing this as well. It started to shape the transformation from the Run DMC sound as it was shifting more into the Biggie Mob Deep sound. But it was at like the middle. Yeah, it was the yeah. bridge right there. Yeah, it yeah didn't, that's it. It's the bridge. It didn't quite have what you know is the New York sound today, or what I consider myself the New York sound, like the Nas Mob Deep kind of cold, yeah, yeah, eerie yeah. sound. It was the transitioning point, is what I'm saying. It, you know, it bridged the gap between the two. It had the old style beats. But the lyricism was, and the flows yeah, and the way that it was delivered super started to become what would inspire all of the flows that became after that. Yeah, in the early 90s, yeah. definitely. Because, like you just said, the lyricism was fucking on a whole nother level at that time. And just the flow in general, like how he delivered all that. Yeah, like most people it was like... Dun, dun, dun. Most people had, like, a certain cadence prior to that that was kind of like, this is the hip-hop cadence, we're going to ride the beat this way. Right. And then Rakim switched it up to where he was like, no, I'm going to do, you know, 
double entendres and do this shit and switch up, you know, sounds, yeah. flows, and delivery. I'm just pulling up the next one here. All right. Uh, number eight is EPMD Strictly Business. I said that real fast. EPMD for anybody that who just heard that was like, what the fuck did you just say? Uh, this album came out in 1988, and the group consisted of brain farting the fucking names right now. Eric, Eric Sermon, Sermon and I Paris can't, Smith. Paris Smith. There you go. I was trying to think of Paris Smith. I, I knew Eric Sermon. It was right, right there. But anyway, Strictly Business came out in 1988. This album had a lot of funky style samples on it. Like, Let the Funk Flow and You Gots to Chill and It's My Thing. Uh, all had very, it was just funky loops. Lots of James Brown samples and yeah, there's shit's shit like that, mad fun to listen shit to. that made you want to like get up and move. And I like the songs of Steve Martin because I always play it for oh, Steve because okay. it's always like, Steve, Steve, <laughs> Steve. What do you have for nine so I don't say the wrong shit? Beastie Boys. Okay, I have that too. Okay. I'll let you go ahead with right. that. Because you wanted to... Yeah, I'm we gonna... did. Cha- we had to choose between two Beastie Boys albums, and yeah. Jeremy's going to tell you why we chose the one that we did. Okay, so I think this is their second album, and I think that their first album, Licensed to Ill, is a little more accessible to people who haven't listened to hip-hop before, I guess, and it has a fight for your right to party on it, uh, Brass Monkey... No and everybody's heard Brooklyn. Fight for Your Right on the uh, radio. Yeah, or even if you haven't, you've probably heard that fucking expression. You know what I mean? Yeah. I chose Paul's Boutique because of the effect that it actually had on how hip-hop was produced at the time. And it came out in 1989, and it is so sample-heavy. And nothing sounds like those guys, you know? Yeah, three rappers. No, they definitely have a... Like, yeah. The only thing I would say that came close to having that unique of a voice and sound is Aesop Rock. Oh, yeah. To I where you are, like, immediately... You know exactly who I mean, is. you could say that for, like, Chuck D or Method Man or whatever. RZA. RZA, but... No, I know I'm it, talking, I know like, the way that they sound Their in that flow. sort of high-pitched, nasally yep. sound. Beastie Boys, the only thing that I've heard that comes close to that same sound is Aesop Rock. And, um... There's so, I don't know, there's so many, I don't know, we keep saying the same shit over and over again, but, like, <laughs> that shake happens your, every time that we have rump, lists. Shake your, shake your rumps on there, which is fucking rad. Eggman. I mean, like, you can play it from front to back, like we always say, but. That is my favorite. Yeah. Because it's funky. And I think this is one of the reasons, this album is one of the reasons that they had to, like, start paying people for their samples and shit. I believe after that it really got to where they're like, these dudes are making shit tons of money off of our shit and we're not getting paid. Yeah. So that's where, that was kind of the end of that shit right there where you could get away with it without having to pay ass loads of money to the original artists. I know Biz Marquee was the first person to be fined for that. Right. But it didn't become like set law until but like it, after it like, as soon as, like, 1990 hit, like, record yeah. companies were like, fuck you, you're not using our shit yep. without paying us. Right. But prior to that, so this is like it was right kind of, you know? It was kind of a gray area where they were like, well... And that, and Bismarck, he song was a fucking huge, dude. Yeah. 
R.I.P. Bismarcky. Number nine, or no, I'm sorry, number ten, uh, LL Cool J Radio, which was also on our hip-hop debuts list. This album was another big one for Def Jam, and LL Cool J was a huge influential figure in hip-hop. I mean, he... I feel like he got discredited quickly because he went to R&B sort of. Yeah. Not really early on because the man was out since the 80s and he didn't really turn yeah. R&B into like the 2000s. But he... Well, well, like to the, the, the late 90s uh, yeah, or whatever. like the but, doing it is where I kind of draw yeah, that yeah, line. Yeah. And, you know, he's started acting and doing other things and progressing his career in other ways. And I feel like people outside of the like real hip hop heads that go back to the roots of shit. Yeah. He, don't give LL Cool J credit. enough credit because oh, no. they just write him off. Cause they're like, man, who's that fucking that you mean that pretty dude from the movie? Like that guy ain't no rapper or whatever. Yeah. Like, that motherfucker. Like, no, Blue <laughs> like, that guy paved the road for you to rap. Yeah. When you and, like radio and bad and what's the third album? Walking like a Panther or something, something like, like that. that. Like the first, I want to say four to five albums are pretty much all the way to Mama Said Knock You Out. Yep, that's that's pretty much it. But there, on radio, there's a song called Rock the Bells, and I don't know how long the festival's been going on, but there's a festival in New York every year called Rock the Bells. Yep. So, and it's like one of the biggest hip-hop fucking concerts of the year or whatever and the i would say it's probably the longest running too yeah and like, i think LL at this cool point J. rolling loud's probably bigger because it's just uh it's probably got more backing for yeah. whatever reason or whatever you know or yep. it's not put on as independently more, more sponsorship it, yeah so there's more money and there's a more younger generation that's going to the shows and whatever and more of a variety of artists i guess but Nah, I can't say that, because Rock the Bells has quite a big variety, too. They do. But I would say they're the most creditable, the most notable, and the longest running. And they forever. always have, like, legit headliners. Yeah. But we see some weird shows now. Like, remember that one that I sent you in Vegas that had, like, Jizza and Inspector Deck? Yeah, with, yeah, 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 With, like, Emperor? That and, was weird. Like, I don't know. So the lineups are all over the place. It's kind of like how in the store, like, we just alphabetize shit at this point. We don't have genres. It's too hard. Because, like, the other day, that fucking little girl or whatever, I don't yeah. think she was maybe 18 or whatever, yeah, but yeah, yeah. buys Obituary and Lionel Richie. And, like, I heard her in the store. Like, she's, like, she was looking at a Cannibal Corpse album, but the one that we have here is, like, 75 bucks. Oh, it's yeah. an older print. And she's like, I don't want fucking Lionel Richie. I want Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> <laughs> I started laughing. But she brought it up to the counter. I was like, this is an interesting combination. Yeah, it but is. I was like, this is dope. Like, people are buying, like, complete opposites from each other. And that's what we do. Yeah. Uh, number 11. I'll go ahead with this one, actually. Uh, the Roots? Yeah. Quest Love? The Roots, Things Fall Apart. It was released in 99, so this just barely made the list. Mm -hmm. But to me, I didn't want to leave it off because, like we said earlier in the beginning, like you like thought-provoking music. And The Roots, Black Thought just alone, is one of the most thought-provoking 
MCs that to me has ever existed. Right. Like, and if you listen to our previous episode, he made it on both of our lists for like one of oh our yeah, favorite for best albums. Of 22. Yeah. He is an amazing writer is one thing. Like he uses words that you, I mean, dude, I've had to sit and like pause music listening to him and look up like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. yeah or just yeah. like, so I like shit that you're like, I'm literally learning from this, you know? Yep. So to put that in the way that they present it is great to me. Um, an argument that I could make here for the sake of somebody who's never heard hip hop, whose discrepancy with hip hop is that they're not talented. They don't play uh Musical instruments, yeah. Quest loves smash that so fucking bullshit. The Roots play everything with all live instrumentation, and I've never seen the Roots uh, in person live, but I've seen videos live. I've heard stories, etc., and they always put on an amazing performance from what I've seen and heard, and are incredibly talented musicians doing what they do, and it gives it a really cool, new, unique sound to where. You're getting walking bass lines and you're getting crisp, clean hi-hats. And it just, it sounds very authentic. So if your discrepancy with hip-hop is you don't like the electronic sound that some yeah. of it may have, this is this might be something yep. that breaks that wheelhouse for you. Uh, and Questlove, the drummer, is a highly respected drummer, like, period. Not, e- not even not just, even hip- just for hip-hop. Yeah. I believe is he still on the and, Conan show or whatever? Yep. As far as I know. And he's uh, he's been making movies, he's right he's written books. He Yeah, they're intelligent people, man. Brings on like different artists and new artists and he's just hard working dude and put out some really, really quality stuff with the roots. The next number twelve. Number twelve. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Twelve Cypress Hill? Yep. All right. I'm back on track. So Cypress Hill put out their first self-titled album in 1991. It's like the biggest Latin group or Latin-speaking, Latin people group, most successful almost ever in hip-hop for sure. I mean, aside from, well, yeah, longest running because Big Pun didn't have that much stuff and neither did Fat Joe. And, uh... That's the reason I didn't put Big Pun on the list. Because he only has one album. Two. Or, but his catalog two, yeah. is, right, like you said. Cypress Hill, there's still, they're, you can see them. They're still doing yeah. stuff. Even, like, Be Real and DJ Muggs individually are working. Right. Like, I see Be Real on features all the time. And DJ Muggs is putting out stuff with a bunch of newer artists. I have a, a, D, a DJ Muggs, just a self-titled album that he... He put out, or not self-titled, I'm sorry, a solo album. Yeah. And uh, he has a few of them out that are pretty fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. But this album has, like, I Could Just Kill a Man on it, Hand on the Pump, Real Estate. There's there's a lot of, like, uh, nobody sounds like Be Real either. Nah, he's, he's real another nasally, voice. That... Like, yeah, if you hear him, that is Be Fucking Real. Yeah. Well, that's like his... Accent, dialect, language, everything gives him his unique flow to where it can't be repeated. It's kind of like Andre 3000. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
nobody sounds like Andre 3000 because of the way he just talks in general. Like, you can't mimic that because you don't talk like that. And to him, it just flows like that naturally out. And yep. so that's why, like, I've seen people try to break down his raps and be like, this is, how the fuck did he do that? <laughs> like, it's just the way he talks and the way he speaks. And Be Real's one of those two to where you hear it and it, you're like, oh shit. It's almost kind of like, bone chilling yeah like yeah, his yeah voice because yeah. they have like a dark eerie sound or they yeah they have like a in their early shit they have like that horror movie yeah, kind of feel kind of like early three six it, right but less hypey and another thing that I, I haven't mentioned yet the appeal to most of these groups for instance cypress hill be real was like a legit fucking gangster at one time so when they sing about this shit, getting shot and, like, gangbanging, they did it. Like, it's some fucked up shit. So yeah, I guess... There's authenticity, authenticity there. Authenticity there, exactly. And, um... Which, not to say that other people that we already mentioned weren't. I just... But in hip-hop, it. it is easy to be an entertainer, or an entertainer, sorry, and paint yourself in that light because it makes it successful. Right. Like... Anybody could say that they did this or that. And a smart person, if they actually did do it, wouldn't incriminate themselves exactly. on tape because now you can be indicted for that shit. And I guess that but, was that was a little that was harder to find that shit out though yeah. at this time anyway. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So you'd be like, Oh man, this guy's hard as fuck, but then but you no internet. Yeah. You know. So you can't like fact check everything. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um They did have a Cypress Hill also they had a puts beef with a, Ice Cube an amazing show too oh yeah yeah for yeah, a yeah. while Ice yeah Cube. they did a few diss songs to each other there was I'm trying to think of the other rapper there was another group that they had beef with too but then it, twenty years went by and it was all good yeah who fucking knows I don't know <laughs> also Cypress Hill there was a there's a documentary on Showtime right now about Cypress Hill that I believe came out either. 2020, 21, or this year. I don't fucking know. But it's pretty cool. Check that out if you're interested. All right, number 13, Gangstar, hard to earn. And Gangstar, to me, like, this is blueprint hip-hop. There's no glitz and glamour to it. There's no special effects. There's no uh, dressing it up. Like, it's just cut and dry hip-hop in its purest form. It's jazzy it's socially aware um and it's and just a dj lyrically like it brought up a lot of conscious issues that were around at the time in the neighborhoods that dj premier and guru had lived in or grew up around or their friends and family or whatever the case may have been it spoke about issues that most other people didn't touch base on at the time and it wasn't technically like gangster rap, but it had that element to it because of the the stories and the environment and everything that they were talking about right. in it. But they were, for a while, like since, because DJ Premier had the idea of like, okay, everybody at this point, including ourselves, have used all of the fucking James Brown samples. Right. Like, he's the most sampled person in hip-hop history. And yeah, that's a... I would that's say like a it's Guinness probably... Record. Yeah, I would it say is. it's probably hard to find a James Brown song that has not been sampled. 
Yeah, I, I and believe one in I, some ways. Right, I believe form. every fucking song has been chopped up if it has could be. So DJ Premier wanted to use jazz samples because at the time most people weren't really using them. Their, you know, their Q-tip was, and Pete Rock and a handful of others were using some jazz stuff, but not as heavy as what they did on here. So they were often mistaken as jazzy hip hop, and they didn't want to be called jazzy hip hop. I mean, they just wanted to be hip hop because right. that's what it was. But Guru has a very monotone voice i will say and just a very straightforward flow and for some people that may like sound boring or something but when you actually like sit and listen to what he's saying you're like oh wow this is it's intelligent it's thought-provoking it's definitely worth listening to that was 1989 no gangster hard earn was 94 Oh, um, hard to earn. I was thinking of the um. Why I was in I was thinking of no more Mister Nice Guy. No, that was the first that was the one. First one, yeah. Right? Fourteen Next one is Mob Deep, the infamous. Came out in '95. Those boys are out of New York. Obviously, you can tell like Ryan and I like that East Coast sound a lot. I mean, I kind of notice it now. Just look looking at our <laughs> list, it's yeah. like I, I prefer it, but there too. there is a ton of stuff on the West that I like too. And actually. Towards the end of the episode, there'll be four West, you know, that we'll mention. Yeah. But, dude, Survival of the Fittest, I mean, that would be on a Greatest Hits fucking hip-hop fucking album, wouldn't it not? If you were to take a compilation of all Greatest Hip-Hop songs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that or Shook Ones would be. Yeah. I think Shook Ones would be on there first, actually, to be honest with you. Because so? that stove click in the beginning oh. and then the beat drop, I think, is like one of the most yeah. iconic sounds. That's... And I like, I had the way I found out about that was Eight Mile. Oh, right on. Because when they're doing the freestyles, when yep. that movie came out when I was a kid, and they're doing the freestyles, and I heard that. The drop, the, and the beat. Click. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is that? So I had to, I was like, I read everything inside the little DVD booklet or whatever, mm-hmm. and then I like Wikipedia'd it. Oh, and found out who and Mob Deep was. tried to figure it. out what that song was, and then led me to that, so then I dug into Mob Deep. Gotcha. Um, but to me, I mean, that like, I, I think that would make it first, but pretty you could take anything off the album, really. Yeah, it's just like all the other ones. My Actually, the first time I heard, listened to Mob Deep, aside from... Um, a couple of songs was Murder Music, which I yeah. believe is after this one. It is. Earth. It's after Hell on Earth too. Okay, so it's two so after ninety nine like or something like that. And um, ninety eight maybe. And this just fucking blows that away, man. I mean, it's not Murder Music isn't. I'm not saying it's bad, but no, it was later in their career, right? Uh, the Infamous and the Hell on Earth to me go neck and neck. Like I'd take one or the other. Uh, I do like Hell on Earth a little bit more because Havoc's production on that was just dark. And and it had a Tupac diss on it, and most people weren't dissing Tupac. because so, yeah, so that, to me, I was like, oh, this is fucking dope. Somebody dissed Tupac. Did that come out before or after he died? That was during when he died. Because, you know, on that one, uh, I think it's Hail Mary where he's like, yeah. don't one of you motherfuckers yeah, got yeah, sickle yeah. cell or something? <laughs> yeah, he's talking yeah, about yeah. Prodigy. Right. That was their response to that. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yep. 
There are guest appearances on this album by people we've mentioned already on this list. Q-Tip, Nas, uh, Raekwon, and Ghostface, which are from Wu-Tang. The production on it is a lot of dark, eerie piano loops. To me, like this paints a, a picture of the projects in the middle of winter in New York. It's cold, it's dark. It's almost like you're walking down an alley and you don't know what's going to come out around the corner to you. Yeah, like the yeah. stories that they tell and it just even their videos were like dark as fuck, yeah. dude. Back and they the were day. like 18, 19 or some shit when they were doing this. And like I've read Prodigy's book and I will say the authenticity is there. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're if anybody's interested in Mob Deep past that, definitely check out Prodigy's The Infamous Life. I think that's like my favorite hip hop biography he, that I've read. Did he actually die of sickle cell? Yeah. So, uh, Tupac, you're a fucking asshole, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought he did die of that. Yeah, Rest he died of sickle cell because he prodigy. and he was young too. Yeah, it sucks. There was a a I can't remember if it was Breakfast Club or Shade Forty Five. I think it was Shade Forty Five. But where Conway and Benny the Butcher were on a radio show with Prodigy and they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. were all freestyling yep, with each other. I saw that. And that was like right before Prodigy he passed away. Oh, he sure. was only like in his 40s. Yeah. Uh, 2017 he died, I think. I don't remember exactly when it was. For me, I, to me, agents. like, that's my favorite hip hop duo. Which it's hard to fucking pass up Outcast, who didn't make the list, unfortunately, just because I didn't have fucking room for it. Well, and it's like, um, yeah, I wanted to put an Outcast album on there too, but I think yeah. it came out later than 2000. No, it came out at what, 98, 99? AT Aliens was oh, like 98. I was going to put a different Outcast album on there. Uh, Equimini? Nope. Stankonia. Oh, Stankonia was after 2000s, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking um, AT Aliens was 96, Equimini was 98, Stankonia was 2000, and then Southern Playalistic Cadillac Music was 94. But anyway, uh, Mob Deep, favorite hip-hop duo, like, yeah. hands down. And unfortunately, Prodigy's passed away, so you really don't get any more Mob Deep, but the stuff that they did come out with was all classic and has definitely stood the test of time. And Havoc still does produce quite a bit of stuff. I know he's done stuff with Method Man, Styles P lately, and I've seen his name on a whole bunch of projects That's and just up. people getting beats from him, and I know he's still active in doing all that. Uh, number 15... We have Public Enemy, It Takes a Nation's, sorry, takes It a nation. Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. I started saying it too fast, and then my <laughs> mouth, like, tripped hey. over itself. Hey, this man. was released in 88, and for anybody who knows who Flavor Flav is, which even if you don't like hip-hop, most people know who Flavor Flav is. Because my mom knows who Flavor Flav is. Exactly, because he's a ridiculous character. Had his own TV show for a while. Flavor and of love. He's the the OG hype man. I would say it, he's the best hype man fucking ever. Yeah, because he's ridiculous. Like, and Big he's clocks around his neck. Yeah, Viking helmets and shit, yeah. and just his whole attitude, persona, whatever. Like, you know, I don't know if he acts like that day to day. I feel like he ha would have to because he just does it so well. Either that or he's the world's best actor. 
because he's been like yeah. doing that forever. I don't know how you could um act that way. No. And fake it for so long. But um, anyway, for anybody who knows Flavor Flav, this is a group that he came from. Uh, Public Enemy was Chuck D and Flavor Flav, and then the Bomb Squad, who was the people that made their beats, and also Terminator X. I don't know if it was like officially part of the Bomb Squad or was just their DJ or how that works, but Professor Griff too. Oh yeah, that's right. So this album, Chuck D's idea behind it was he wanted to recreate the social commentary impact that Marvin Gaye's What's Going On had on it, but in modern times. Gotcha. Because, like, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On had, like, the war and the riots and things like that that were going on at the time of when it was written. And at this time, it was, like, the ghettos and the poverty and, like, crack the, shit, like the crack epidemic and bringing light to the current situation of what they were living in. And Chuck D, to me, has, like, one of the most powerful voices in hip-hop. Like, he sounds like he's, like, 100 feet tall when you hear him rapping. Yeah, he does. He, and just, he like, always has, like, a fucking message that... You, yeah. he, it's like his voice makes you listen. It's like getting hit with a big-ass brick wall, like, pretty much every time he raps. A brick wall of information. Yep. And, um... He's famous for saying, uh, what's the line where he, he says Elvis was a king to most, but he didn't mean shit to me or something like that? Yep. Yeah, that was pretty, that at the time was like, dude, nobody fucking says that about the king, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, people didn't bring Yeah, bring you don't light talk shit that. about yeah. Elvis, and he was yeah. like, fuck that, dude, that guy didn't do shit. Which is one of the things I really like about Public Enemy, right. because they don't, have a filter yeah there's no apology like there's no oh this might offend some political douchebag like no chuck d let it all out in the open and punched you in the face with it oh and another i didn't realize this till i just looked to be honest but this has bring the noise on it with anthrax or is it just bring the noise with them uh, i think it was bring the noise with them and then anthrax did it later but Anthrax put it on because Bring the Noise is on here, but I couldn't remember if that Anthrax. Yeah, I don't know if it, I can't remember if it came out originally at that like that or way, waited. or they waited and did the collaboration later. But that's definitely I don't really a know how that works. Out. But that's an argument that could be said for people who are like, "Oh, I'm only into metal," because I've heard people yeah. say, "Well, I fuck with Public Enemy because they did that with Anthrax." Yeah, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. Okay, but what about fucking? Uh, Aerosmith and Run DMC, like... Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> no, exactly. Just got to, you know, be open-minded, I suppose. But there's a, a lot of... Do Night of the Living Bassheads is on there? Like, that song is so fucking creepy. Which is funny, because for, for anybody who doesn't know, basshead is the term for a crackhead, which could be also a fucking just dead... So yep. Night of the Living Dead is basically Night of the Living Basehead, or Night of the Living Basehead is Night of the Living Dead. Yep. All um, right, we got one, two, three. 15? Yeah, that was 15. There's one, two, three, four, five. There's five more. Uh, these ones we're not going to get, like, too heavily into because we feel at this point they're almost household names, even for right. people. Like, Snoop Dogg's another one, like, 
So on the list is Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style, but a, he's a household name. Yeah, also, most pe- like I everybody say knows. More people know him for other shit than his music now. At this point, yeah. You know, for like whether it's acting, like maybe or, a guest spot, but as far as like him putting out records that are, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I heard that to get him on a record is a quarter of a million dollars. You got to pay him 250 G's to spit like a bar or two? Like, I think it's 16, he said. It's 250K. Either way, dude, that's fucking insane. I know. And then he's like, and if you want a video, I need another 250K. I'm like, damn. But he's putting shit out. Yeah, like on the regular. Uh huh. Um, so, but when you become that iconic in your own genre, I mean, I guess you, I mean, you call the shots basically. So, yeah. And then Snoop Dogg, um, the album would be Doggy Style. Check out. I um, feel like most people have heard Gin and Juice. Uh, yeah. And but it's again, been done a million we're, different ways. we're um, presenting this to people who have hypothetically never listened to hip hop. So, It'll okay. be a life changer for him. They'll be like, oh my oh, God. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I want to say We're going to get somebody addicted to gin and juice. Tupac. I was going to say All Eyes on Me because I feel like that's more accessible to people. But Me Against the World, I think, is his best, most conscious. It's not real arrogant. Like, you know, like he became and was at the beginning. And I feel that All Eyes on Me was kind of, it was a pushed album because he got bailed out of jail. You know what I'm saying? Like he had that, to make and it was that. a very pissed off album, right? And I feel that, and Me Against the World, not to mention, was a number. It was like the first time that a guy had a number one album who was locked up in prison. Yeah, I mean it's fucking crazy, right? But it has like Dear Mama on it, shit like that. But Tupac, yeah, everybody for the most part, should know who Tupac is. Also, we've talked about Biggie, Ready to Die, and from NWA, Dr. Dre, The Chronic, we put on there, which introduced everybody to Snoop Dogg. And I feel that Dr. Dre, just as a person, a producer, not so much a rapper, has had, I mean, a profound effect on where hip-hop is even today. Oh, yeah, massive. Mm -hmm. Like, unparalleled to most people because like i said earlier eminem 57 and think of what all they brought on uh you could even say the game oh definitely he helped out kendrick and you know i just all these people that he's brought out that have had these huge massive like like platinum selling careers anything but fucking gold yeah And he doesn't have the lengthiest of catalogs, but, like, the shit that he's released is you can't fucking match it. Right. Like, he, he just, he crafts perfection, basically, and just fucking puts that out. He's like, if my name's going to be behind it, it's not going to be shit. Yep. And, yeah, he's just brought on an amazing amount of careers compared to, I mean, Jay-Z, Jay-Z's brought on some shit. Uh, Pup Daddy brought out some shit, but I don't think either of them compared to what Dr. Dre brought and, out. And even Dre, Dre's uh, 2001 album that came out when I was in high school, uh-huh. and um, Eminem's on there. And look what Eminem became. Eminem's considered probably the he's the highest selling hip hop artist ever. 
there you go. Like Fucking literally ever. Crazy. So, um, yeah. And yeah, I know and Nell, I know Nelly's like the best. Nelly's up there too, dude. Well, that's just it's what's like fucked number up. three or something. You know. And I was like, man, really but he's smart. But he's like, yeah, apple bottom jeans. Yeah. Like, yeah, you are right. Boots in the fur, son. Anyway, that pretty much uh, sums that up for me. Oh, you left one out, so. Oh, go right ahead, sir. I did leave we one out. We had Biggie Ready to Die, and then um, another yeah, one that came from NWA, who would have, I think, been the lyrical brains behind NWA. Was he based anything Easy e spit yeah. on NWA? And I'm like sure he, he helped out MC Ren and et cetera. Because And Dre, I, he was Dre's ghostwriter. Yep. I mean, he knew how to craft the shit together. I mean so Dre had the production gift, Ice Cube had and the I don't writing. Think they gift. really show that in the in that movie so much, do they? How Cube is really the fucking No, they do. Do they? They well, I mean it doesn't go in the like depth, but it there is a scene where he's bitching about like I'm the one fucking writing all this shit. Okay, okay. I haven't and, watched that in a while. And even Easy E in one of the songs says Ice Cube writes the rhymes that I'm saying. And No, I knew that for Easy. Yeah. And I knew it for Dre, but I assume he, he probably did do almost all of it at the beginning. Yeah, he was the lyrical mastermind behind the group. It was because the group wouldn't have been what it was without him. And just like it wouldn't have been what it was without Dr. Dre. Or Easy. Or Easy, because yeah. Easy was like. He's the money. You know how Sid Vicious is like yep. the face of the Sex yep. Pistols? Well, like Easy exactly E was he... like the face of NWA, basically. Yep. That's He's not to say that he was an untalented junkie, <laughs> but. <laughs> He fucking had the image, he had the attitude, he had the persona, and... But he, he couldn't rap. Couldn't rap, but, I mean, he learned how to, and they fucking helped him out and whatever, and yeah, he became what Yeah, you'll see that in is. the movie. Yeah. When they have to chop up a song. Anyway. And he's a, one of yeah, the most the notorious gangster rapper, gangster rappers, gangster rappers. rappers ever, just... Based off of his face. I mean, he's like... Exactly, his Jerry He was Curl. like the next... His fucking Jerry Curl, yeah. dude. He was like Ice-T, like what Ice-T followed, you know? Or not what Ice-T followed, but like the next generation of Ice-T. Because yeah, Ice-T yeah, yeah. was out shortly before that. And... And I think Easy e was went like down the, that road The evolution well. of that. Oh, yeah, he... Fuck yeah, Imagine Easy E being on Law and Order. Yeah. Instead of Ice E. It's fucking nuts. That would have been hilarious though, actually. You got the short little dude with a Jerry curl on there, like being a cop. Yeah, it'd be fucking weird. He'd have to be like some undercover fucking I don't know. Or you'd have to get rid of that fucking Jerry curl dude at some I, I would imagine by now he would have. Cause like oh, Ice yeah, yeah, Ice yeah, yeah. T had Jerry Curl back then and he ain't got it now. <laughs> anyway. Ice T Power should have been on this fucking list. We could have added a bunch. Yeah. But, I mean, we could have made this list 50, like we said, but it would have just been too fucking boring to talk. Like, I wouldn't have had time to kind of talk about things in between or why we like them or why we put them on the list or yeah, whatever. Yeah, basically be so, listing shit off. Yeah. I got to take a leak. All right, well, I'm about to wrap this up. So, um, like we said, this will be the last episode this year. And we will be back at the beginning of next year for, we have interviews lined up, we have other things in the works, and... Maybe a little restructuring of the show in general. Yeah, 
So look forward to that. And then in the meantime, I mean, go back on the old episodes if you haven't heard them or hit us up on all our social medias and give us ideas of what you'd like to hear us discuss in an episode if you want or, you know, whatever. Yeah, let us know what you want to hear and um, we'll be happy to deliver. All right. Uh, Everybody have a good Christmas and New Year's and Hanukkah and Festivus and whatever else you fucking celebrate. Yep. We'll see you next year.